Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to talk tonight about spiritual harvesting. And this is a very foundational doctrine. I believe this is what the Lord has for us. Basically, it's just the concept of seed time and harvest. And a man reaps what he sows. You reap what you sow. That's what the Bible says from Genesis to Revelation. You reap what you sow. The Bible begins with seed time and harvest, and it ends with the angels harvesting. And so we got to understand this concept because our life today is the fruit of our harvest. But the fruit of our harvest is based on what we've been sowing. So the solution or maybe the problem or the whole dynamic is simple. If you don't like what your life is today, sow something different. But also be patient because just because you sow seed today doesn't mean harvest tomorrow. I've got Miss um, Sheila Krebelch. I had no... Uh, success getting uh, hyssop. I bought a bunch of expensive seeds out of Oregon. You know, if you want good seeds, go to the hippies out west. And I bought some Syrian oregano, which is biblical hyssop. I couldn't get any to root. The Krebels have a green thumb. They've got like green hands. They can grow anything. And it's taken her three or four weeks to get them to germinate and sprout. And they're just delicate. Uh, we sowed those things a month ago. We're just now starting to see them come up. That doesn't mean we're going to get to use it for anything Maybe even this season, because it, they're, they're, uh, it'll take a while. Even if your life stinks tonight, change what you're sowing. And then be patient. It can change if you'll consistently sow the Word of God. That's the positive aspect of what I'm going to talk about tonight. But we're also going to look at a couple of uh, verses that talk about there comes a time when you can no longer sow in time. And that should scare us. That'll be the reality of tonight. So we're going to look at a couple things. Genesis 8, 22, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, the summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. So we see there seed time and harvest. As long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest. As long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest. Now that's natural, but we also understand the spiritual application of it because Galatians comes along and says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So that's the spiritual principalization of this natural horticultural uh, reference. Our life is our harvest. Your marriage is the fruit of what you sow. Your kids are the fruit <clears throat> of what you sow. Your business, if you own one, your college education, if you have one, your, your college career, if you're in college, it's the fruit of what you sow. If you want good grades, you sow time into studying. If you want better grades, you go see the professor and sow some time and some work there. There is a spiritual law God declared at the curse that it says, from now on, the earth will produce thorns and thistles, and by the sweat of your brow, you will eat. From the very beginning, God said, you have to work to get anywhere in life. That's why socialism is so corrupt, because it, it calls God a liar. That's why socialism, communism, and all this far leftist stuff is a mockery. It mocks God. It mocks the gospel. God said from the very beginning, now with the sweat of your brow, you will eat. Thessalonians says it this way, if you don't work, neither do you eat. That was established in Genesis chapter 4. Right? So the problem with socialism and all this social justice is it mocks God's system. And you can't be blessed telling God he's an idiot. You can't be blessed. You can't think you're with God when you're actively opposing him in the name of justice. So what we have is seed time and harvest. Your marriage is wonderful if you work on it. Your parenting, your kids is wonderful if you invest in it. Your business, if you have one, grows if you invest in it. Everything we do takes work. That's the, the laws of thermodynamics. You have to invest energy into a system to get it to climb out of chaos. If you're not willing to invest the energy, it will not come out of chaos. And the whole of the world system, because it is under the curse, it automatically decays. Everything tends towards chaos. That is scientific law. That's real science. That's not political science that everybody says follow right now, except for the voices that detract. No, that's not real science. They just, they're just scientists detracting from the other science. But I thought that was science. You don't know what science is. Remember, we have 65 genders now. That's science. Whatever. <laughs> Even trees just have two genders. I just... Yeah. Seed time and harvest is a spiritual principle that works if you work it. And so we've got to wrap our mind 
around that. Uh, Galatians 6, 9 goes, to say, goes on to say, uh, be patient for in due season you'll reap. In due season you'll reap if you faint not. So that gives us the other active variable in our equation. You have to have patience. Once you have sown, you got to be patient. If you don't like your marriage tonight, it's not going to change overnight. You got to begin to sow time and prayer so selfishness, excuse me, selflessness instead of selfishness. Maybe sow some flowers, sow a dinner, maybe sow some time where you're taking care of the kids and your wife isn't juggling all of them. You're not going to turn this thing around overnight. Same with your kids. You've got to sow time into them. You see the point. We don't want to belabor it. So that being said, the Bible uses this seed time and harvest concept probably 20, 25 different times in the Bible, and it talks about sowing righteousness, sowing inequity. And if you remember the law, you reap what you sow, then it ought to terrify us when we're wanting to be sinful. Because unless, of course, the seed doesn't germinate, you're going to reap what you sow. And there's no scriptures that really tell us there are actions that don't germinate. Just like Romans says, the wages of sin is death. All sin has a paycheck. The difference is how big of a paycheck does it pay? You know, you might, you might be able to flirt with someone you're not married to and, and it just has a little paycheck, which is you're feeling guilty and you got to go home and repent and say, honey, I need you to forgive me. I was kind of flirting with the secretary or that cute guy at Lowe's. Um, that's still a paycheck. But that isn't the implosion of your marriage, which is a monster paycheck or a jealous spouse and a shotgun, which is the ultimate paycheck. But everything has a paycheck. Even serving God has a paycheck. Likewise, any action, any behavior, any attitude, anything you sow, we have to take seriously the fact that it can germinate. I'll give you this quote. I've, I've taught it before, but some of our folks here are new and haven't ever heard it. I learned this from Pastor Robert White Cotton in Key West, Florida, 23 years ago. He taught this to his youth group. He said, if you sow a thought, you'll reap an action. If you sow a thought, you'll reap an action. If you sow an action, you'll reap a habit. If you sow an action, you'll reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you'll reap a lifestyle. Sow a habit, you'll reap a lifestyle. And if you sow a lifestyle, you'll reap a destiny. Thoughts, actions, habits, lifestyles, destiny. Now, the question is, where, where is your life sour at? Probably somewhere in the lifestyle. If we're complaining, if we're frustrated, we have gotten into a lifestyle that we're not happy with. But we've gotten there by following these other three steps, which means to turn this thing around is going to take more than just click our heels together, get in a prayer line, and say, Lord, I'm sorry. You've got to start changing the way you think then change the way you act, then change your habit. That eventually changes your lifestyle, and then you can get your destiny back on course. But what if you've been off course for 20 years? What if you're 70 and you've been off course for 40 years? Will you actually have time to sow seed and turn direction? Barring a miracle, no. And the thing that hurts my heart as a pastor is to realize many Christians will never fulfill their destiny because they refuse to do the work today that will eventually redirect their destiny. And this is why we are sticklers for studying your Bible, speaking the word, getting a card, an index card, writing verses down that, that address whatever your issue is so that you stick with this and you stick with this until you change a habit, change a lifestyle, and redirect your destiny. We, we don't want to be buried the same person we are today. Amen. The Chris McMichael of today expires when I go to bed, and I better wake up a different man tomorrow. Maybe not radically different, but at least incrementally. There are some days I wake up and I'm a meter different. Other days I wake up and I feel like an inch different. But either way, it's got to be different, and it's got to be different in the positive, not backsliding. So I'll say that again. Sow a thought, you'll reap an action. Sow an action, you'll reap a habit. Sow a habit, you'll reap a lifestyle. Sow a lifestyle, you'll reap your destiny. 
I learned that 23 years ago in Key West, Florida, at an Assemblies of God church, and it's stuck with me ever since. Probably some of the, one of the best foundational gems I've ever learned because it'll just change you. It's what, what parenting is all about, teaching your kids how to think so they'll act a certain way, so they'll develop positive habits, biblical habits, so they'll have a lifestyle that fulfills the destiny of Christ. Especially our kids that are born and raised in this church, there's no reason any of them should come behind in any good thing if we're discipling them, which takes work. There's no such thing as Christian socialism. Even the Levitical laws that permit you taking care of the poor, the widow, and the fatherless, you don't glean the corners of your field or your vineyard. You leave that for them, and they have to go get it themselves. Once you pass through your vineyards, whatever you don't get the first time you leave, that's for the poor, the widow, and the fatherless. You don't go pick it for them and then hand it to them as a handout. That's forbidden of Scripture. But that's what our government does, and we call it social justice. The Bible says if you don't work, neither do you eat. In Christ, all things are possible, and in Christ, you can change your station in life if you're willing to put forth the effort, quit believing the lie that I owe you something. I owe you nothing but to love you. And by loving you, I tell you, go get a job. Amen. You can do it if you want to. All right. Job chapter 4. Let's look at some verses here. We're going to bounce around. Let's look at the verses that warn us about sowing inequity first. We're going to hit some clean white pages in your Bible. Maybe you can scuff them up a little bit. Maybe if you want to, when we get to those pages, just kind of ruffle them. And that way it looks like you've turned there a couple times. Job chapter 4. Verse 6, Eliphaz is speaking. He says, Is not this thy fear, thy confidence, thy hope, and the uprightness of thy ways? Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent. Remember, Proverbs says, The curse causeless shall not come. Or where were the righteous cut off? Even as I have seen, they that plow inequity and sow wickedness reap the same. They that plow inequity... And sow wickedness, they reap the same. You reap what you sow. You sow wicked, you reap wicked. Proverbs says, they that set a trap will fall into it. They that dig a pit will fall into it. They that roll a stone, it'll roll over and rend them. These are good promises to pray when your enemies won't relent. You don't want to have to pray prayers of imprecation, but they're there in the back burner should you ever call them up. And it's okay if you have to. You just make sure you have permission from God to do so. There is a time when you're done praying for your enemies and it's time to pray against your enemies. The Psalms are full of imprecations. The New Testament is as well. So that's an interesting proverb there. Eliphaz says, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness, they reap the same. The New Living Translation, and actually that's Proverbs 22, one says, they sow injustice, they'll reap disaster. Uh, but I think that's Proverbs 22 saying the same thing. Let's go to Proverbs 22. We'll look at a similar verse. This is why we have to move our fields away from folks that consistently sow wickedness. Um, if you follow the controversy of Monsanto, Monsanto is a massive agricultural billion-dollar corporation. They do genetically modified seeds and plants, and um, they have copyrighted or trademarked their seeds. And it's become such an issue in our breadbasket out in the Midwest that if you are a farmer and you don't use Monsanto, I think that's the right name of the company, if you don't use their corn or their wheat or whatever, but your neighbor does and their seed happens to germinate and blow into your field, you can't harvest it. They own it. It's wicked. And the Supreme Court has sided with them, and it's pretty corrupt. Because who in the world can control seed blowing when your property line is an imaginary razor-thin line? It's just corrupt. Trademark, that's our property. Well, then come get it. How about you GMO it so it doesn't fall in my property? How about I sue you for trespassing? So anyway, I don't want to get off on all that. 
But this, you see this in the agriculture that there's a problem. You want to be careful what your neighbor is sowing. You may need to build a fence. Because if he's sowing one thing, he may have to come along and spray some insecticide that ruins your crops. And that's typically why you see crab uh, farmer or crab orchard, or excuse me, uh, apple orchards. It's just apple orchard after apple orchard. They're all growing the same kind of apples because it pollinates better. Um, you got to be careful running with people that sow wickedness because who's to say their harvest won't come over into your field? This is just another way of saying, come out from among them. Everything I'm going to show you tonight is just another way of saying what I always say to you. I'm just trying to like be creative and spice it up. It's like Bubba Gump. Shrimp scampi, shrimp jambalaya, shrimp etouffee, fried shrimp, broiled shrimp. All we have is shrimp here. That's all we do. <laughs> Proverbs 22, verse 8. He that soweth iniquity shall reap vanity. So this is the one where the New Living Translation says, He that sows injustice shall reap disaster. Injustice, corruption. King James, it just says, uh, 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 He that sows inequity, lawlessness, shall reap disaster. You reap what you sow. This ought to terrify us in the little things. Because if you sow it, and it's, it's kind of like the laws of weeds, you don't have to sow weeds. They just end up. So what happens if you happen to have a bag full of weed seed? You don't even have to pay attention to that. You don't have to water it. You, I think you could honestly scatter weed seeds on your driveway, and they'd come up tomorrow without any effort. How did you do that? I'm a weed. That's what we do. It, there's, there's a spiritual law that just says sin roots a lot quicker. It grows a lot faster. It costs a lot more. And anything worth having takes way more work because this is an uphill battle. And the weeds of the spirit realm and the weeds of agriculture, they are divine law. Proclaimed from the very beginning that basically when they got cursed, God said, now the ground will automatically produce thorns and briars for you. And anything good worth having, you're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow. But all that is is thermodynamics. Anything good worth having, you're going to have to work a lot harder for. Anything wicked and nasty, you don't have to do anything. It'll just be there, and it'll take over very quickly. So once again, we see, He that sows iniquity shall reap vanity, and the rod of his anger shall fail, or with the rod of his anger he shall be consumed. So move away from angry people too. I wouldn't deal with folks that have emotional outbursts that you can't rein in. That's why you teach your kids to control their emotions. We have two girls. They're emotional. They're actually getting pretty good at it. We know how to control our emotions. I, we look for every opportunity to teach them why they need to control their emotions. Even when Anakin Skywalker was a spoiled brat in that second attack of the clones and he can't control his emotions. That's a pause button moment. You see that, girls? Where's Anakin going? Well, to hell. Well, he is going to burn in the third episode for sure. But what's going to happen? He's going to become Darth Vader, the biggest enemy. Why? Because he can't control his emotions. He's a brat. Right. Why do we want to control our emotions? We don't want to be Anakin. Fair enough. Good. You've got to control your emotions. If you don't, you're going to end up sowing injustice, perversion, corruption, and then you reap disaster. How many of us have, have just had to eat crow and eat gravel because we were just emotional and just, just whatever that is. That's what we did. Just out of emotions. We, we shot ourselves in the foot. A thousand faith confessions and 60 hours in prayer and with one emotional, it doesn't work. It all fell apart. We like just instantly plowed our field under that we've been working so hard for because the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches crept in and right when we should have had a harvest, we just shot ourselves in the foot all because of emotional instability. The rod of their anger shall be consumed with their own anger. So let's not be that. All right, look at um, Leviticus 19.19. 19. This is the one that says, Do not sow diverse seed in your field. You shall keep my statutes. Thou shalt not let thy cattle gender with a diverse kind. Thou shalt not sow thy field with mingled seed. Neither shall a garment mingled of linen and woolen come upon thee. So thou shalt not sow thy field with mingled seed. What happens when half your life is righteous and half your life is corrupt? 
What happens when you come to church and worship Jesus, but with the, the other half of your mouth, you curse people and slander them and yell at them and tell your husband you hate them or tell your kids they're stupid. Oh, but Jesus, I love you. That's diverse seed. That's a forked tongue. That's a double-minded man, unstable in all their ways. This is sowing diverse seed. Saying, I love God and I want more of him, except when he wants me to get up earlier and pray or when he wants me to fast. Uh, we want to make sure that we're consistent in the seed that we're sowing. It's a Levitical law here, but it also has a spiritual principle. Uh, otherwise, we'd call it, like Dr. Barclay calls it, a double agent. They have one foot in the world, one foot in the church. They have, they have their church vocabulary and their world vocabulary. They've got their church friends and they've got their business worldly friends. They've got their youth group or college group friends and then they've got their dirty college study group friends. That's diverse, mixed seed. Uh, they know how to talk to us like they're one of us, but they're really more comfortable talking to the world. They have their church clothes that are modest and then they have their real clothes. Huh. They're generous towards God, but more generous towards themselves. So this is, these are, we're talking about lifestyle. We're talking about decisions, actions, sowing seed. You reap what you sow. But your harvest can't be denied. You can't stand at the edge of your strawberry field. It produced cucumbers, and you swear up and down you sowed strawberries. When cucumbers come up, guess what, baby? That's what you sowed. But I swear... I was sowing strawberries. I've been taking care of strawberries. The seed doesn't lie. The fruit doesn't lie. By their fruit, you shall know them. You can't say, I've been working on this all year when nothing but kumquats come up. You can't say you've been working on forgiveness all year when unforgiveness, hatred, variance, strife, and emulations come out. You can't say that. You have to acknowledge, I have been sowing to the flesh. So we have to make sure and determine we're mindful of what we're sowing. We're quick to repent. Go dig some seed up. If you see the thing begin to sprout, you ought to be able to know what the fruit is from the first little leaf and say, ooh, that's, that's not good. Let's go pull that up and not wait till you're further down the road. But all this does take work in the form of prayer, work in the form of self-judgment, work in the form of Bible study, work in the form of repentance, work in the form of discipline. It's work. I know we're allergic to that. I know the hyper-grace people are very allergic to that. I know the Calvinists think, well, it's just predestined, so just, you know, case sera, sera. But for those of us that are balanced Bible people, we understand there's our part to play in this. Amen. How about Hosea? There's some really clean white pages. See, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Lamentations is somewhere in there. See, Ezekiel, Daniel, Amos. Is it Daniel, Amos? Does Daniel, Hosea, Amos? Where's Habakkuk, Jonah? It's right after Daniel. Hosea chapter 8. This, uh, this verse tells us something that we kind of already know just by intuition. Hosea chapter 8. Let me read this in the King James, and I'm going to throw up the whole chapter in the New Living Translation. So Ben, why don't we get Hosea 8 ready to go in the New Living. Verse 7 says, For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. What we see is instant multiplication. But we get that, Right? You sow one watermelon seed, up comes a vine with maybe one, two, three watermelons. How many more seeds are in one watermelon? Hundreds, if not thousands. Same with apples, same with tomatoes, same with peppers. Anything, any tree is going to produce acorns, pine cones. Any seed you sow is going to produce fruit that has multiplied more seeds. So what if you sow wickedness? You sow the wind, you reap a tornado. What if it's a wind of righteousness? It's a whirlwind of righteousness. What if it's a wind of joy? It's a tornado of joy. What if it's a wind of lust? It's a pornographic tornado full of demons and lust. 
What if it's a wind, a gentle breeze of generosity? It'd be a whirlwind of prosperity. You believe it? It's the Bible. We see it intuitively. It's multiplication. You sow one seed. When that thing fruits and germinates or germinates and fruit sets, it is going to be multiplication time. But it's not just in the positive because you reap what you sow. What if you sow hatred? What if you sow unforgiveness? Jesus Christ said it this way. If you don't forgive, my father won't forgive you. That's multiplication. You don't forgive one person, infinity won't forgive you. So we have to be careful what we sow. And always, somebody, many preachers said it, sometimes we just need to pray for crop failure. Oh, God, scorch the earth. Oh, God, just Gomorrah eyes the whole field, just <laughs> sulfur. Let's look at chapter 8, verse 1, beginning in verse 1. Uh, Sound the alarm. The enemy descends like an eagle on the people of the Lord, for they have broken my covenant and revolted against my law. This is the setting for sowing a wind and reaping a whirlwind. Verse 2. Now Israel pleads with me, help us for you are our God. Wait a minute, you've already broken the covenant. You're doing what you want to do, living the way you want to live. And now that everything's falling apart, help us, oh God, help us, oh God. Sound familiar? Have we ever done that? Yeah. Verse three, but it is too late. This is kind of the not feel good part of the sermon. The people of Israel have rejected what is good. Have you and I done that? Yep. Now their enemies will chase after them. See, just by choosing good, he makes even your enemies to be at peace with you. That's why we choose righteous. Verse 4. The people have appointed kings without my consent and princes without my approval, making idols for themselves from their silver and gold. They have brought about their own destruction. They follow, we'll say it this way, they follow who they want to follow. They, they pick their own church. They pick their own profit. They worship their money. They're stingy and they're tightwads with it. They rub two nickels together and try to make a quarter out of it. And this brings about their own harm. Next verse. Oh, Samaria, I reject this calf. That's the calf that uh, Rehoboam had erected. This idol you have made, my fury burns against you. Rehoboam or Jeroboam? Rehoboam. Jeroboam was the son. My fury burns against you. How long will you be incapable of innocence? Listen to that question. How long will you be incapable of being innocent? How long are you going to struggle with this? These are the prophets. Prophets don't make people feel good. They're always trying to turn people from their sins so God can be good. If you can have you feeling good or God feeling good, you always want God to feel good. For God to feel good, you often have to feel miserable. Through fasting, repentance, apologies, making hard decisions. Or you can always choose to feel good and watch God be angry. Because usually when you and I feel good, it's because we're in carnality or sin. Now I understand we feel good about serving God. We feel good about that service. We felt good about that decision. I'm not talking about that. But how long will you be incapable of innocence? Verse 6. This calf you worship, O Israel, was crafted by your own hands. It is not God. Therefore, it must be smashed to bits. He says that about our own idols. Unforgiveness, hobbies, careers, anything that gets in the way of God must be smashed to bits. Verse 7, they have planted the wind and will harvest the whirlwind. The stalks of grain wither and produce nothing to eat. So here they actually have sown, but nothing will come of it. They've tried to sow good. Nothing will come of it. Here's our first verse where it does get to a place where no matter what you sow, you can't change anything. Now hear that warning because we're in that stage in the last days. It's prophesied throughout the Gospels. We've heard messages about it. There comes a time when you can't get on the ark anymore. There comes a time when you can't flee Sodom anymore. There comes a time when it's just done. And the die has been set. And your destiny is at hand. And you can, in that moment, try to make the change. But according to Hosea, and here we are reading it, it doesn't matter what you sow, you won't produce anything good. There comes a time when you won't be able to fulfill your destiny because too much time has passed and you were only given 85 years to finish your race. 
there comes a time when you can't salvage your marriage because too much damage has been done. Remember, some of us are old timers. We were very staunch disciples of Brother Hagin. He said he tried to pray and deliver a person from the deathbed, but the Lord spoke to him and said, words have been spoken that cannot be turned back. And therefore, that person had to die. As great as a faith man as Brother Hagin was, and that was in the healing revivals when he said it was easy to get people healed. If somebody didn't get healed, there was something really weird wrong. And he's trying to pray for, I think, a deacon or an elder in his church, and, and something they were trying to intercede, and the Lord said, words have been spoken, and they cannot be turned back. This is the reality of where we are with seed time and harvest. You have to sow righteousness and make a lifestyle of consistently doing so. There's always going to be a harvest. Every time you turn around, you're harvesting something in your life. But you're always harvesting what you sowed. The devil doesn't sow anything without our permission. He sows nothing in our life but with our permission. He can't illegally sneak in and sow anything. Everything that our life produces, we permit it. Whether through ignorance or laziness or just willful disobedience. Anything righteous we harvest is because of God's work in our life and our permitting him to minister to us and we spoke the word and prayed the word and obeyed the word. That gives us harvests of righteousness. But our, our life, folks, our life is our fault based on our doing of the word of God. We've all had different upbringings where we've been traumatized, raped, abandoned, brought up in foster homes, brought up in wonderful homes. Yet today, where we are, it's our doing by the grace of God or our frustrating of the grace of God. If we want to change it, it's up to us sowing the word of God. The farmer has nobody to blame for his harvest but himself. And every day we're looking at the harvest of our walk with God or lack of it. So change it. Change what you're sowing. The stalks of grain wither and produce nothing to eat. And even if there is any grain, foreigners will eat it. That's not good. Next verse. The people of Israel have been swallowed up. They lie among the nations like an old discarded pot. Verse 9. Like a wild donkey looking for a mate. They have gone up to Assyria. The people of Israel have sold themselves. They've sold themselves to many lovers. Next verse. But they, though they have sold themselves to many allies, I will now gather them together for judgment. Then they will writhe under the burden of the great king. Verse 11. Israel has built many altars to take away sin, but these very altars became places for sinning. Think about that. Israel's built many altars to take away sin, but that's the very place they became sinful. Through pride, through arrogance, through unrepentance, stubbornness, idolatry. Verse 12. Even though I gave them all my laws, they act as if those laws don't apply to them. 13, the people love to offer sacrifices to me, feasting on the meat, but I do not accept their sacrifices. I will hold their, my, uh, my people accountable for their sins, and I will punish them. They will return to Egypt. We'll stop there. They'll go back to where they came from. Actually, verse 14, because it is a final slap. Israel has forgotten its maker and built great palaces, and Judah has fortified its cities. Therefore, I will send fire, a down fire on their cities and will burn up their fortresses. And that's the end of the chapter. They had sown to the flesh and sin for too long. And when they said, oh, Lord, we're so sorry, it's too late. It's the same story of Sodom and Gomorrah, same story as in the Ark of the, uh, Noah's Ark. There came a time where you couldn't turn this thing. The Bible tells us in the New Testament, seek God while he may still be found. And we're living in a day, you know it, you can feel it, you can perceive it. When our smartest people are discussing how many genders there are, and the newest thing this week was that they want inclusive, inclusive language for lactation technicians and that it's no longer called breast milk, it's going to be called chest milk. Google it, I don't make this stuff up. And not just chest milk, instead of mother's milk, it's parent's milk. I think the time of turning the ship is getting past. I don't know if we can turn this thing anymore. 
I don't know if we can sow enough righteousness to right this ship. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we'll continue to say, nope, that's called breast milk. You know why? Because it comes out of a breast. And you know who has breasts? Birth mothers. Mothers who have vaginas and wombs and uteri and squeeze kids out their tootie. That's called a mama. <laughs> and I'm sorry we're just this ignorant and this is being taught by our universities and our politicians. This is the message of our politicians. And we keep voting for them. You're going to answer to Jesus for voting for the guy that says, no, that's called chest milk, and there is 90 genders. You're going to be judged by God for giving that man your endorsement or woman. Don't deny Christ because you were raised a blue dog Democrat. Don't deny Christ because you've always been a Republican, and Republicans are the, that's the, that's the party of the evangelicals. Man, Republicans just use us. Man. They got, Israel got to a place where they saw Assyria coming and they said, oh God, help us. And the Lord said, I don't know what you're talking about. It's time to reap the whirlwind. You don't have the time to sow righteousness and reap it. Time is gone. Let that not come to us. That's why you got preachers like me who keep preaching and warning and preaching and warning and preaching and warning. And yet there will always be five foolish virgins who go, what should we do now? We're awake. We should put oil in your lamp, trim it, light that thing, and burn for Jesus. All right. Galatians 6. Let's go there real quick. If you carried the child in a womb, you're a woman. I don't know why that's so hard. The problem's not the biology. It's in your head. <laughs> if the biology's working, you're a woman. Galatians chapter 6. It's birthing persons. This is the doing of our academics, our politicians, and Hollywood acts like they've always believed this. No, you haven't. Nobody believed this until last year when Black Lives Matters activated the fight. Remember, Black Lives Matters is not really about black lives because if that was the case, they'd be in Chicago last week asking the black lesbian, how come we had 100 kids shot this weekend? There are no Confederate flags up in Chicago this weekend killing anybody. Black Lives Matters is all about transgenderism, Marxism, and Gnosticism. And if you don't know what those are, that's why you're giving your money to those guys and they're embezzling $90 million to buy houses with. Birthing persons. Nope, that's called a mama. If I can squeeze you out of a tootie, I'm a mother. It's a miracle, it's amazing, it's miraculous, and that's why the pagans hate it and want to make it common and available to everybody. It's not available to everybody. It's available to women who have ovaries, fallopian tubes, a uterus, a vaginal canal, and a tootie. And God made it. Does this make you uncomfortable? God made it. <laughs> All right. Galatians 6, are you there? Verse 7. Now look at verse 6. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. That goes back to giving finances to those that teach you. In that case, if we're building a West Wing to disciple kids and you've got kids, you should probably support it. Amen. I think that's fair. Verse 7, be not deceived. God is not mocked. So apparently if you're not communicating to those that teach or the mission, you're mocking God and you're deceived. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. So here's a harvest. One of the things this shows us is it's not a matter of what you sow. I mean, it's not just. It's not just a matter of what you sow, but where you sow. And here it says, don't sow to your flesh because you reap where you sow. If you sow to your flesh, you reap corruption from your flesh. If you always give your flesh what it wants, it will eventually kill you. If all you do is give your flesh food, diabetes or stroke or heart attack will kill you. If you sow to the flesh discipline and the fruit of the Spirit, you'll reap a longer life. So it isn't just what you sow, but where you sow. So that, I want you to see that point. So to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. 
But he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So you can sow to the flesh or sow to the Spirit, and you'll reap where you sow. You don't sow in your backyard and reap it out of your neighbor's backyard. You don't sow it on your farm and reap it two counties away. You, sow, you reap where you sow, so you've got to be careful where it is. All of us have had a harvest of flesh, whether it was obesity, diabetes, joint pain, whether cavities because we didn't take care of our teeth. We've all reaped it, so we've got to change it. At the same time, we've also all reaped a harvest of spirituality in life because we sowed to the Spirit. We got up earlier. We prayed. We put our flesh under. We gave sacrificially. We witnessed to somebody. We put our flesh under, and we sowed to the Spirit, and it benefited our life. So we've all experienced it, but we need to make sure we're sowing more to the Spirit and less to the flesh. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And so, of course, I said that earlier. That shows us that there's always a harvest. You just have to wait for it. This is why we don't get upset when it looks like the righteous are failing and the wicked are, are prospering, because the wicked will eventually fail. And usually it comes suddenly out of nowhere, and they're dead, or they're in jail, or they're being judged, or they're being exposed. Don't worry about the wicked. It'll sort itself out. And whatever sin you and I think we're hiding will eventually come to light. And that's why we need to bring it to God's light in private and say, Oh, God, help me. Deliver me from porn. Deliver me from lying. Deliver me from lust. Deliver me from dishonor in my heart. Deliver me from stinginess. Deal with it in the light of God's word in private so that there's nothing left to expose for shame and humiliation. Look at Jeremiah 4. We're going to bounce all over. I've got a couple more verses. Jeremiah 4. We're kind of picking on the whole ignorance of our nation, but that doesn't mean we are where we ought to be. We're just smart enough to know if you can stand to pee, you're a boy. Amen. I've never seen a urinal in a lady's toilet, restroom. Ever. They get your back all wet. Jeremiah chapter 4. I hope this doesn't make you uncomfortable. They're teaching our kids worse than this <laughs> and calling it normal. Jeremiah 4, verse 3. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Thorns can be people. Pastor Obongofong, uh, Pastor Okoko's son, he sends me memes every morning. They're always inspirational and encouraging memes. He sent me one this morning, and I replied to him, this sounds like Pastor Vaughn. This meme says, you cannot fix someone who doesn't want to be fixed, but you can ruin your life trying. Don't sow among thorns. You'll never reap a harvest and you'll only cut yourself. You can't fix someone who doesn't want fixing, but you can ruin your life trying. Break up the fallow ground, your fallow ground, and don't sow among thorns. You work on yourself. You work on your marriage. You work on your little ones that are under your authority and quit wasting time on folks that don't want help. Why would you sow among thorns that are so evidently thorns? Again, he's telling us where to sow and where not to sow. Fallow ground just means ground that hasn't been plowed up in a while. It's been this light dormant, so you've got to go plow it and turn it over. You break it up, break up the clods and loosen the soil and get some oxygen in there. That's where you sow, but you don't sow among thorns. I wonder why he doesn't say plow the thorns under. You should leave them alone. Hebrews tells us they're nigh unto be burning. So you just leave them alone. Do you see the demarcation? Come out from among them. Come out from among them. Come out from a, you, not your problem. There are some thorns that have beautiful flowers. There are some thorns that just look absolutely gorgeous, but they're still thorns. And they'll still cut you to ribbons. And the Bible says, don't waste your time there. You're going to be judged for your fruit production, not, and it won't produce any over there. The sad thing it's kind of a jaded thing about pastoring. You pastor long enough, you begin to recognize personalities and attitudes, and you begin to spot who's going to produce and who's not worth the time. It's really it's hard not to get jaded, but you can see attitudes, you can see people, 
And you can see they're talking the talk, but there'll never be any traction there. Or they're struggling, but boy, they are a good ground. I'm going to keep pumping my time into them because they'll make it. They'll make it. It's all about the attitude. It's never about the action. It's always about the attitude. Amen. Let's look at Psalm 126. Let's talk about the hard work of righteousness. Because that seems to be one of our themes tonight. It takes a lot of work to produce. Sowing takes work. You've got to sow seed. Speak the word. Water it. Speak the word. Water it. Harvest it. It takes work. You've got to have patience. You can't just sow seed in a field and then forget about it. You've got to water it. You sometimes got to desucker it. You've got to cultivate it. You've got to ins- spray it with pesticide and insecticide. Then you've got to pick the early fruit. You've got to pinch buds and all this other stuff that we did when we used to harvest tobacco and everything with Andrew's family and, and work, worked on the vegetable farm. We did a lot of this stuff just to get the harvest. It's work. You don't just sow seed and ba-boom. Same in our life. It takes work. But don't quit. Psalm 126, verse 1, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dreamed. If you've been set free, don't ever go back. Look in that rearview mirror and say, see you later. Drive on. Because if he didn't set them free, there's a reason. And you don't hover around. Don't hang out at the prison gate waiting for them to get out. You move on. Your heart got you delivered. Their heart keeps them enslaved. If they say, all right, you're free to go, hop in that car and don't ever come down that county road again. Move on in life. I don't know why we, yeah, people are dumb. We were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter. You can tell when you're delivered when you got joy again. And our tongue was singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord has done great things for them. The, The heathen will see that. If the heathen can't see God on you, you don't have any God on you. The Lord has done great things for us, therefore we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. What does it mean to sow in tears? Does it mean you sow tears and reap joy? No, you sow because it's hard work. You sow because your marriage is under attack. You sow because your kids are rebellious. But You're sowing the word of God. It looks hopeless, but you keep sowing. It's hard toil, but when, when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. When the desire comes, it's fruit that, fruit that bursts out on the left hand and on the right. It's hard work. You're, you're sowing in tears because you're hopeless. You're despondent. You're saying, oh, God, don't let my baby die. Oh, God, don't let my business go under. You're freaking out. You're stressing out. You're exhausted. It's not that you're this sorrowful mess. It's that there's pressure on you. And emotional pressure is a good activator of faith. If you know what to do with it. Or you can shoot yourself in the foot with that mouth of yours. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goes forth and weeping uh, and weepeth, bearing precious seed, his seed basket, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. That means he goes out with a seed basket, desperate, hopeless, but he won't quit the work. You go out with the seed basket, sad, but you come in with the harvest. The sheaves are the harvest that you brought in. You go out sorrowful, but you still work It looks hopeless, but you do the work. It looks like it's not going to turn, but you do the work. But you know it has to work because God's faithful. And the joy comes when you see it come up, first the head, then the ear, then the whole grain in the ear, and you think, praise God. It's working. But if you just quit halfway through it, it don't work. So even if you're sad, get out there and sow seed. Get out there, speak the word, sow the word, stay up late praying, get up early praying. Give your body neither sleep nor slumber till you've sown the word and spoken the word and prayed. But don't sow among thorns, because even though this is the word of God, we can't violate other scriptures to do this part. Thorns won't produce anything anyway. You'll just cut yourself up. Hosea, remember there? Back to the clean white pages. After Daniel, Hosea, Hosea 10 few more scriptures because I got to get to the ones about excuses. You know we have to hit that a little bit. It's just 815. You guys are listening good. Hosea 10, verse 11. Now verse 10. It is my desire that I should chastise them and the people shall be gathered against them when they shall bind themselves in their two furrows. That's agricultural terminology. Furrows like a row of uh, that you would plow. And Ephraim is an heifer that is taught and loves to tread out the corn. That means Ephraim's not afraid to work and to do what it takes to prosper. But I passed over upon her fair neck. I will make Ephraim to ride. Judah shall plow 
And Jacob shall break his clods. That's talking about agriculture and soil. Verse 12, sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. So here we see, if you sow righteousness, you reap mercy. So if you sow inequity, do you get mercy? Not according to this verse. So what about that loved one of yours that doesn't know how to sow righteousness? Can you ever get mercy for him? I would say yes, but not according to this verse. I couldn't use this verse to teach that because this verse doesn't say that. This verse says, sow righteous living, earn mercy. But what is righteousness? Maybe repentance? That's how you get honestly mercy. Lord, I'm sorry. Please have mercy. You can't get mercy for someone who doesn't ask for it. You can't get mercy. You can't obtain it for someone who won't sow the righteous act of true penitence. Until they truly repent, they are nothing but a thorn bush and a briar patch, and you are forbidden of God to go anywhere near them. Any friend, any loved one, any child, any grandparent, any uncle, co-worker. Sow to yourselves in righteousness, and then you can reap mercy. Break up your fallow ground. There's that reference to the, the ground that hasn't been plowed in a while. For it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Seek God. That's how we sow righteousness. When the wicked repents, he seeks God. Jonah repented, he sought the Lord. When the prodigal repented, he sought God. Until then, they get no mercy. It'd be a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Just write this verse down. We'll skip it for time's sake. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, He that sows sparingly shall reap sparingly. But that still takes work. He that sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. So that verse shows us it's not just where you sow, but how you sow. So we've seen so far what you sow, where you sow, how you sow. What you sow, where you sow, and how you sow. None of this is willy-nilly. You have to be focused. I hate this word because it's, it's modern, kitschy Christian, and it's totally borrowed from the secular realm. But I'll use it once. Don't quote me. Don't write this word down. I'll deny it. You have to be intentional with every decision of your life. Now, I hate that word because it's such a new age thing the church has embraced, but it kind of fits a little here. That means you can't just live slack-jawed. You have to know what you're doing from the time you get up to the time you go to bed because you're going to give an account for every word you speak. Amen. All right. Ecclesiastes 11. I've got two or three more verses and we'll be done. Hopefully you're learning something. Hopefully we're teaching on agriculture, just seed time and harvest. And I'm able to warn you of the day we're in, warn you of the friendships around you, and maybe encourage you to really press in and get the victory of whatever sin you've been flirting with. God wants us to bear holy fruit. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 4. He that observes the wind shall not sow. He that regards the clouds shall not reap. Basically, there's always an excuse. I'll start tomorrow. It's late. I'll start tomorrow. I'm tired. I, I'm going to start watching my weight tomorrow, but I'm going to go home and eat seven pizzas and finish off Ben and Jerry and Steve and Bob and Chuck <laughs> and the Mayfield cow. And tomorrow, <laughs> this tells us excuses. I'll get better tomorrow. I'll start working on it tomorrow. I'll put my mind under tomorrow. I'll renew my thoughts tomorrow. I'll cast down those thoughts tomorrow. I'll be disciplined tomorrow. No, oh, I blew it on Wednesday. I'm just, okay, okay, okay. After this weekend, I'm going to start. I'm going to start reading my Bible. Mm, I didn't get to pray today. All right, it's Friday, Saturday. We're going to get plenty of prayer at church on Sunday, so I don't have to pray on Sunday because pastor's going to lead us through all that prayer. I'm going to start praying on Monday. 
He that observes the wind will never start sowing. And he that observes clouds will never go out and reap the harvest. There's always an excuse. That's the gist of that Ecclesiastes. Always an excuse. How about just do it? Just pray a little bit before you go to bed. Cast the thought down. Just do it. Just jump in. Sometimes if you wait too long, you'll talk yourself out of anything. Look at verse 6. In the morning, sow your seed. And in the evening, withhold not your hand. For thou knowest not whether shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. Do the word every day. So instead of just observing, just do it. In the morning, sow. In the evening, don't withhold your hand. Sow in the morning, sow in the evening. Sow the seed in the morning, do the word in the morning, do the word in the evening. Doesn't matter the rain, doesn't matter the clouds, doesn't matter the wind, just do it. Because you don't know when it's going to turn to good. That's what verse 6 says. It doesn't matter, it doesn't know, you don't know when, just do it. You don't know when it shall be good. Just do it. Quit making excuses. <laughs> Look at Isaiah 28. I like this verse. Uh, let's throw this one up, Ben, in the New Living Translation. Isaiah 28, verse 24. Does a farmer always plow? And never sow? Is he forever cultivating the soil and never planting? What is that? Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. At some point, you just got to throw seed down. You can't just keep driving that tractor back and forth, back and forth. Get ready for what? I mean, I've been getting ready since the late 90s on TBM. Get ready for what? Tell me what to do. Get ready, get ready. No, just tell me what to do. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. And that hypes the people up, and they go home and sleep around. Does a farmer always plow and never sow? No, he sows. Is he forever cultivating the soil and never planting? No, the answer is understood no. So at some point, you just do it. Same as the previous two verses, just do it. <laughs> you just shut up and do it. One more, one or two more verses. Isaiah 32, 20 says, Blessed are they that sow beside all waters. Just do the word in every area of life. Just write it down, Isaiah 32, 20. Blessed are they that sow beside all waters. Here, we, in that verse, we had a guy that just kept plowing and plowing and plowing. Verse 32, or chapter 32, verse 20 says, and then there's a guy that just sows everywhere he can. Beside all waters, he's just constantly casting seed, always doing the word of God. Jeremiah 12, a lot of scriptures tonight. Jeremiah 12, verse 13. Let's throw this up on the New Living Translation as well. They that have sown wheat, they, excuse me, they have sown wheat but shall reap thorns. They have put themselves to pain but shall not profit they shall, be, they shall be ashamed of your revenues because of the fierce anger of the Lord. Jeremiah 12, 13 in the New Living Translation, Ben. My people have planted wheat, but they are harvesting thorns. They have worn them themselves out, but it has done them no good. They will harvest a crop of shame because of the fierce anger of the Lord. Why? Well, the previous 11 verses talk about their rebellion, their unwillingness to change, their unwillingness to submit. It's the same theme over and over and over again. So they have sown now. Now they've decided, I'm going to serve God now. I'm going to sow righteousness now. But God says, guess what? They're not reaping righteousness. They're going to reap thorns, and they're going to reap a harvest of shame because the Lord says, they get nothing but my anger now. It's too late. This is a continuous warning throughout the entire Bible, even into the ooey-gooey, mushy-gushy Gospels. Warning. Even into the epistles that are supposed to be so full of grace. Seek God. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. And here he says, my people have planted wheat, but they're going to harvest thorns. It's too late. We have to be terrified of this. I would read the whole thing of the first 10, 11 verses Verse 10 talks about my pastors have destroyed my vineyard. They've trodden my portion underfoot. They've made my pleasant place uh, desolate. 
He goes on to talk about just how wicked and dry and everything is. We don't have time to go there. God talks about the wicked. So I want you to see that. Uh, Micah 6.15, just write this verse down. Micah 6.15 says, You sow, you shall sow, and you shall not reap. These verses tell us through the prophetic ministry of these prophets, there came a time when Israel said, Oh, we're so sorry. We want to change now. And the Lord says, You can't. It's too late. It's like... How many of you have a garden at home right now, even just a little one? Could you sow seed right now and get a harvest before? It's too late. It's too late. Season's passed. We're getting the ends of our tomatoes right now. Some of our bigger tomatoes are starting to ripen. We've still got a couple peppers coming in. But we could sow seed right now. We'd get nothing. It's too late in the game. That is spiritual law. You need to understand in the seasons of your life, there comes a time you cannot make this harvest season. You're going to have to deal with the harvest that you sowed for. That's spiritual law. The only thing that can change it is you turning your face to the wall like Hezekiah, and you better be able to move God. But do you really think the Christians in our nation, generally speaking, know how to move God? Do you think anybody in this nation other than the remnant church really knows how to repent anymore? This is all these verses. If you want to go look at them on your own time, the scenario is the same. Israel's been wicked for so long. The prophets have warned for so long. And then when they see judgment by the hand of the Assyrian or Sennacherib or the Egyptian and Pharaoh Necho, they're like, oh, okay, we repent. And the Lord says, too late. That's the warning of all this. Our job is to continuously sow in water and look for areas that were barren. You and I, we have a momentum. We're, we're getting down to a day where we may not be able to get many people in that ark with us. But those that are with you today, that serve God with you today, you can't afford to lose. So you keep them close. This is a theme we've been teaching a lot lately because the Spirit of God is emphasizing it. It doesn't matter if you've got to cut grandma off. It doesn't matter if you've got to cut your brother off. It doesn't matter if you've got to walk away from that career. You do what's necessary to keep that vineyard or that orchard or that garden growing for God Almighty. Don't waste your time or your seed among thorns. It, it's hard to hear it. I know Isaiah 55 says, So shall my word go forth, it shall not return unto me void, but it will accomplish that which I purpose. It will do that which I send it forth to do. So you have that verse which is a prophetic word about what God's going to do for Israel, and it shall certainly come to pass. But, 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 according to Jesus Christ and the chief parable, 75% of the time the word of God produces nothing in your life. The sower sows the word, and it only produces 25% of the time. And our heart, depending on which day, is one of those four. Thankfully, we come to church four services a week and prayer services. So we're doing pretty good because one out of four services, you're getting something. Your heart has to be, Lord, every service, I'm getting what I need to get. But what about those that never go to church? And they come in here once, 75% chance they'll get nothing. What about the Christian that comes to church once a week, once a month? 75% chance they'll get nothing from the one thing they do here. The odds are stacked against them. And that's what Jesus Christ taught. It's spiritual law. That's why we sow the word and sow the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. That's why I can harp on these same messages. I feel like I look like I know nothing. And then after nine years, somebody goes, I see it. I see it. And I think, wow, yay, I guess you're the guy I stuck it out for your heart has got to be, Lord, let me get it. Let me get it. Let me get it. Let me get it. God wants us to bear a harvest of fruit. So review real quick. It's all about what you sow, the word of God, and righteous living. It's all about where you sow. You don't cast your pearls before swine. That little piggy's going to market, <laughs> and they're going wee, wee, wee all the way back to the baking table. Where you sow and how you sow. If you just kind of half-heartedly pray, you just kind of half-heartedly change things. One quote we have is, prayer that costs you nothing gets you nothing. 
Prayer that costs you nothing gets you nothing. That's a prayer quote from a prayer warrior. Her, her name escapes me, but she knew prayer. It's like a chainsaw. You can kind of rest that thing or lean into it. It's like an axe. You can kind of limp wrist that axe off that tree trunk or you can put some muscle into it. Same with prayer. Same with confessing the word. Same with studying. You can kind of just read your scriptures in my utmost for his highest or you can dig deep and get to know God. Not to diminish reading the Bible in a year or my utmost for his highest, but there's a big difference in maintaining a, a read the Bible in a year, yay you, but did you bother to study what God said about Zedekiah and what his original name was? No, you just read it. You couldn't even pronounce it, but you read the Bible in a year. <laughs> it's what you sow. It's where you sow. It's how you sow. So let me ask you, how are you going to help that loved one who doesn't sow righteousness, but they sow wickedness, not to the spirit, but to the flesh, and not half-heartedly, but with everything that's in them? How can you look across the, the, the farm country road to your neighbor that's growing marijuana and offer them a handful of corn and say, you should really probably try to grow this, and they're about ready to harvest their buds. Can you turn that thing around for them? No. No. You can't. You hate to be that way. We're trying to act like it's 1985. Christians are in charge of everything. Ronald Reagan fears God. We've beaten Russia. Rocky just beat Ivan Drago. James Brown's singing Living in America, and everything is awesome. We're acting like everything's hunky-dory and the church is expanding and the church is not expanding. We're heading underground. Everybody I talk to can feel it. Those that can't feel it are preachers that have gone wokey-dokey. And they're becoming gay-inclusive and trans-friendly. This is a serious time. And we're going to have to really ask ourselves, what do we believe and how much do we believe it? And are we willing to sacrifice so that we might give God a harvest of righteousness? That's what we got to do. Amen? So let me see if I can find an encouraging note to end on. God loves you. Jesus was raised from the dead for your justification. And he left you that he might give you the Holy Spirit. Amen. And then he gave you a church family Amen. and a Bible Amen. and a hundred translations on your app. Yes. And he gives you like six services a week to go to if you want. I mean, how can you not be happy? Amen. Yeah. Amen. You learn anything? All right. You also feel kind of fearful and trembling. Yeah, I got to go check my garden. Amen.